0: This is Crossroads, the Get Religion
1: podcast. A little scene in a Netflix movie, Blonde, it's a biopic of Marilyn Monroe, has gotten a lot of stir online and in the news. Planned Parenthood even decided to review the movie in a way and said that this scene where Marilyn Monroe speaks to her unborn child Well, it paints abortion in a bad light. And Planned Parenthood doesn't like that. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Battingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. And he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Uh, A New York Times column titled, The Empty Spectacle of Marilyn Monroe's Fantasy Fetus. It's not hard news. It's written by an, an arts critic. Why does the social media storm over this brutal film matter?
0: Well, I think primarily it matters in part because I think it is news that Planned Parenthood has responded to this film and has responded to the debate about these images And this ended up as a news story in The Hollywood Reporter. And and I could see that it still might get some more coverage. From everything I've read, I mean, obviously this is a controversial film. It's got the rating above an R. It's an NC-17. It's really strong sexual content. And the fact that that strong sexual content, the scenes of rape, and the other things that are involved in the film are directly connected to the discussion of abortion is, I think, what is the powder keg that set off the current reaction we're seeing. But the other thing I think we need to, to discuss today is why mainstream media and Hollywood as a, as a highly symbolic form of mainstream media, but the news media as well, struggles to deal with topics related to abortion and to topics related to unborn children. I mean, because what you end up with when you're talking about Associated Press style for how you cover abortion is really loaded language because, I mean, once again, what it comes down to is the same developing child at the same stage of development, let's say 12, 15 weeks or 22 weeks or whatever is a fetus in one story, yet when people talk about their unborn children, they don't normally, in direct quotes, call them fetuses. They talk about the baby, or they talk about, I came home with a sonogram image of my baby. So human language changes depending on the status of the unborn child. And I think that this is what we're dealing with when Hollywood tries to do anything related to this. And I think it's important to know, when I was studying and interviewing people about how Hollywood deals with religion for some work I was doing way back in the 90s, way back in the early 90s, a lot of what Hollywood does is try to push the buttons that are attached to the big moments and the big issues of life. And years ago, in a preaching class with the legendary teacher of preaching, the late Dr. Haddon Robinson, we came down to the fact that what you end up with is the landmark events of life. And from the church's perspective, and I stress the church's perspective, these hurdles, these landmark issues of life end up being birth, which then leads to baptism, which leads to marriage— then parents end up with the birth and baptisms of their own children, and then you end up at the end of life with funerals. And anyone who's been involved in ministry knows that there are huge emotional and intellectual and personal changes and transitions that go with all of these. I mean, one of the things that's important about America having falling birth rates and having trouble developing marriages is, pastors, clergy of all kind, realize that when people have children, it makes them think differently about themselves. And frequently, this is one of the opportunities you have for people to return to church. All of a sudden, they're thinking about the big questions of life, not just because they're seeing them now through their own eyes, they're seeing them through the eyes of their children. And because of this, Hollywood frequently has struggled with how to handle these big-ticket, big-button issues and how to depict them in film. In Hollywood storytelling, we often end up with the big events of life are obviously new relationships, romance, sexuality, sex, etc. Then another big Hollywood moment is breakups. So you could add to that list of big life events, all pastors would know that divorce would clearly be one of those, and and somehow Hollywood has to try to depict events in life that lead to dramatic changes in personality and self-actualization. You learned a lot about yourself through these experiences, and obviously you throw an unborn child, a pregnancy, a lost pregnancy, an aborted pregnancy, into any kind of storyline, and it's going to be very controversial material, and how it's handled is going to be very important. And we can discuss this more because I can name some other examples. The bigger the movie that touches on these subjects, the more likely it is to cause controversy. Nobody gets all that mad about an inferior not all that important little Christian movie that talks about an unborn child and the decision to carry something to term have it. But when it shows up in a Hollywood film, in a Hollywood blockbuster, this is going to cause trouble. And this latest film is just one example of that.
1: If it weren't for social media, would this be getting the traction that it is?
0: Oh, when it shows up in the New York Times, it's going to be discussed. And the fact that Planned Parenthood made it an issue by putting these questions into a press release, obviously, and you have the um, National Director of Arts and Entertainment Engagement. The fact that Planned Parenthood has a National Director of Arts and Entertainment Engagement tells you pretty much all you need to know. So you end up with a statement While abortion is safe, essential health care, anti-abortion zealots have long just contributed to abortion stigma by using medically inaccurate descriptions of fetuses and pregnancy. And then that brings us into the depiction of the CGI talking fetus and everything in the movie. And once again, I want to stress, this is not a movie that you're going to hear people praising for a host of reasons. But... Once again, it's another Hollywood blockbuster that ventures into this territory. And thus, you're now having people calling this an unintentionally pro-life or an unintentionally anti-abortion movie. You have other people saying, no matter what the beliefs are of the director, the writer, etc., that this was an intentionally anti-abortion movie because the Marilyn character is shown struggling with her own guilt. And I I think this is another part of this whole picture. I really think what is controversial in this film is not just the depiction of issues related to abortion. What's controversial about this film is the depiction that she feels guilt about it and that she is struggling with issues in her own life as a child that— you know, went into foster care and had a mother who was mentally ill, and the depictions of rape and the fact that one of the rapists is the president of the United States, a hero of the left, and you have all these kinds of things all coming together. But the fact that she feels guilt for the abortion seems to validate what shows up in surveys, which is some people, some women, do feel guilty about abortion others may not, or they may not report it. But the simple fact of the matter is that when you look at this at the global level, there's no question that for many women, the loss of an unborn child is a traumatic event, even if it's abortion. And then you have the fact that in the Marilyn movie, it's abortions that she didn't want to have. She was forced into them. So the movie then is linking abortion to violence against women, the abuse of women. And when you have those situations, abortion is supposed to be the door out of the violence and the abuse, not something that is seen as contributing to it or causing trouble for this person, trouble that lingers and dominates her life in many ways. I think I'm reminded of the fact that In the past, I've seen people getting upset when people write stories about the Buddhist rituals to mark miscarriage and abortion. And the fact that, you know, in Japan, you have the Garden of Unborn Children, a a massive memorial where women come to grieve the loss of their pregnancies. Could you imagine the news coverage if pro-life groups attempted to, let me just think out loud here for a second, let's say that a major group of religious organizations in America somehow managed to purchase land near the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and they decided to create on this mall site something like the Japanese Garden of Unborn Children. Can you imagine the coverage that that would get and the arguments that would arise in zoning hearings in Washington and in arguments with city government, etc. There's no way around the controversy in these subjects. And this movie is just another example of what happens when the media has to face them.
1: What stood out to you in that New York Times critic piece?
0: Well, first of all, you have—there's a lot of anger in the piece, and I'll read one section here, because it does place the abortions in the context of Marilyn Monroe's life. The movie does, and there are things that we know for a fact about her life that make this poignant. So let me read what I think is one of the stronger paragraphs in this piece because it has to put the controversy in the context of reality. So listeners would want to hear this. Pregnancy can inspire profound acts of projection. The fetus, an unseen body inside of a body suspended between non-existence and existence, is defined by parental expectation and cultural imagination. It is the personification of a mother's desires and fears, her sublimated anxieties, and internalized judgments. And the Monroe of Blonde has plenty of issues to cast onto a prospective baby. Abandoned by her father and abused by her mother in childhood, she has become world famous as an infantilized sex object who calls all of her lovers daddy. Her ventriloquized fetus is voiced by the child actor Lily Fisher, who plays Monroe as a little girl. When she was still Norma Jean. When Monroe communicates with her fetus, she is talking with pity and loathing to herself. So, in other words, this is a terrifying projection of the violence that's been done against her emotionally and physically. And it's a depiction of her own, frankly, guilt and loathing and confusion. And her ongoing desire to have a child. This apparently became an issue in a lot of her work in Hollywood, that everyone knew Marilyn Monroe wanted to have a child. And this became an issue in whether you could continue to market her as the ultimate sex symbol if she somehow became a mom at the same time.
1: So the Hollywood Reporter wrote a story on this movie. Was that report fair?
0: Well, it accurately reported the fact that Planned Parenthood was very concerned about this movie, and was concerned about the linkages I talked earlier about the the linkage between abortion and violence. The director of the film r- responded, and I think this is a, a logical way to look at it from Hollywood's perspective, but I, I think he's wrong. <laughs> he Andrew Dominic, he, he said that this was being discussed it was causing controversy because it came so soon after the overturn of Roe. And he said, quote, people are obviously concerned with losses of freedom. And I mean, no one would have given an expletive expletive about if I'd made this movie in 2008, and probably no one's going to care about it in four years' time. And the movie won't have changed. It's just sort of what's going on. So he believes that the reaction to this is because America is on high alert right now for anything related to abortion because of the fall of Roe v. Wade. I think he's wrong, and I think we have evidence from earlier films in Hollywood, at least two or three that I've studied or written about in other settings, that that point out to this. Let me give you an example. The Catholic thinker-activist Dorothy Day is a hero of the American left, a pioneer in racial justice, and frankly, a Christian socialist. And she founded the Catholic Worker Movement, etc. But when you look at her life, and she's now being seriously considered for sainthood in the Catholic Church, one of the most interesting aspects of her life was that she came back to Catholicism after some very negative events in her life, one of which was an unwanted pregnancy and an abortion. Now, years ago, I had a chance to interview the late Father Bud Kaiser, who was a Catholic priest and filmmaker who helped make some famous mainstream films. The one, Romero, was probably the best known. And in the midst of preparing a script for the Dorothy Day film, when I interviewed him, he told me that he faced a crucial decision, and that was how to depict the fact that Dorothy Day returned to Catholicism, in part seeking forgiveness for her abortion. And based on her journals and other things, he wanted to have a film image where Dorothy Day is walking down the sidewalks of New York City And she's feeling terrible about the abortion and the circumstances surrounding it and being abandoned by a lover and everything else. And all of a sudden she sees all of the young children, as she's walking down the sidewalk, are making eye contact with her and pointing at her. And this gets worse and worse, and finally she ducks into a Catholic church, goes to confession, and returns to the faith accepts forgiveness for this in her life, and moves on after being forgiven. Well, it's it's hard to imagine from a Catholic and from a liturgical Christian perspective, a more powerful image than those. But once again, can you imagine if you did that not in a Catholic film, or in a film that's connected to a Roman Catholic priest as one of the driving forces and producer, Can you imagine if a scene like that was portrayed in a major Hollywood movie? Imagine the reaction. Well, we know how it would happen because we have a great example of what happened when something similar was portrayed in a movie that became a Hollywood blockbuster and kind of an underground classic. And that is the 2007 movie called Juno, in which a high school girl becomes pregnant And she's panicked, and I can't stress too much. This is a cool, hip, sharp high school student, attractive in every sense of the word from a Hollywood perspective. Well, she goes to the abortion clinic, and one of her high school friends happens to be picketing the abortion clinic as a part of Christian ministry. And as Juno walks into the clinic— Past this young woman, the young woman says, you know, your baby has a heartbeat, your baby's real, you don't have to do this. And then the protester says, your baby has fingernails. And Juno turns around and goes, fingernails? And then she goes in to fill out all the forms for her abortion. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the room, someone is clicking their fingernails on a hard surface. And Juno hears this over and over and over. And she lays the paperwork down and walks out and decides to have the child. Very controversial scene because this was, from everyone's perspective, an excellent, hip Hollywood movie. To make matters worse, kind of the villain in the movie ends up being the hip, rock semi-rock star husband of the woman who wants to adopt the child, and he walks out on his wife because he doesn't think he's mature enough to handle a child. The mother, however, goes through with the adoption, and that ends up being a positive part of the film. Have you ever seen the movie Juno? I haven't. It's definitely something worth seeking out. On a much lighter sense, another movie that I know, this same image of depiction of an unborn child was a Hollywood film called Fools Rush In that starred right at the height of his fame with the Friends TV show Matthew Perry and the brilliant Superstar Latino actress Salma Hayek and in this film she becomes pregnant after a a one-night stand with the Matthew Perry character in Las Vegas and when she comes back to inform him that she's pregnant she she starts the conversation, and she says, well, I, I've made a decision about what I need to do. And he goes, oh, you know, he's very exasperated. He says, oh, 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 I know this is hard. I just want you to know how much I support a woman's right to choose. And she responds, good, I choose to keep this baby. And later, after they decide to get married, at a moment of great tension in their new marriage, they go to the hospital and there's this unforgettable scene where their doctor is doing an ultrasound and for a brief moment in a hollywood film you have an ultrasound image of their child full screen on a hollywood movie screen with big stars at the same time expressing how beautiful it is and how amazed they are and they you know and obviously they're going on with the pregnancy etc That image, I'll never forget that and the discussions that were caused. We didn't have Twitter at that point. But I can guarantee you, if Twitter had existed when this film came out in 1997, it would have gone crazy about the whole idea of a broad screen, full screen image of an unborn child being celebrated by major Hollywood, you know, actors, an actor and an actress who represented... Definitely the winning side of Hollywood. So all I'm saying here, when you have these big button subjects in life, these big hurdles in life, of which divorce, marriage, birth, pregnancy, and yes, the loss of a pregnancy, when these come up, Hollywood is going to have trouble dealing with these topics, even though they're at the heart of what it means to be alive and the heart of what it means to be a human being going through the stages of life. And frankly, the news media is going to have trouble covering the discussions and finding out what language to use in describing them. It's really the latest in a long series of Hollywood struggles with this issue and things related to it.
1: Is it realistic today to expect national reporters to cover abortion objectively? About two minutes.
0: Well, I thought there for a while, frankly, that we were seeing much better coverage of abortion. And when I say that, I would back up about 10 years. And we had some serious attempts. excellent religion reporter at that point at NPR was doing some work. And I honestly thought the press was trying to do a better job with abortion. I thought that the whole media bias issue had moved on and that the big issue now was gay marriage and gay rights. Well, right now in the increasingly digitally defined media scene that we have where you can't rely on advertising for money, you have to have loyal subscribers, I think this has made it harder for the mainstream press and for Hollywood to deal with these topics, because now you have to preach directly to your choir, and they're living in a concrete silo of digital information and news and commentary. This is just as true on the right as it is on the left. How do you even justify covering these stories, portraying these stories in an accurate and fair manner if you know they're gonna turn off an audience on the left or the center left. So I don't know if it's possible at this point, and especially now in light of the fall of Roe, I don't know if it's possible for the mainstream press to cover these things fairly accurately and to treat people on both sides with respect. To me, this once again means, if anything, Christians who work in the media and Christians who work in the mainstream press and Christians who work in conservative publications need to step up and attempt to quote people on both sides of these issues and cover these stories and get these things into print, because at some point that information might drive the press back to covering these topics more fully and giving them the attention that they deserve.
1: Terry Mattingly is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion.
0: Part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.